Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications at TryLifeMD.com? We're now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. It's fun to put on jeans that you couldn't get into six months ago. Every morning, I look forward to getting on the scale. For anybody who's struggling with their weight, it's a godsend. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at trylifemd.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. Hello, good afternoon. It's after midday and welcome along to Soundtracking with me, Edith Bowman, uh, my weekly podcast where I get to explore the beautiful, unique and extraordinary relationship between music and the moving image. Um, I've just returned from Glastonbury. Uh, I wasn't working this year. Um, I wasn't going to go, if I'm being totally honest with you, uh, gutted not to be working and I kind of suffer from really bad FOMO. Uh, so I was like, I'm not going like a kind of spoiled teenager. Uh, and my unspoiled teenager uh, asked if we could go. So I kind of moved heaven and earth to make that happen. And I have to say, I had the most extraordinary day with him, uh, allowing him to dictate what we did for the day and kind of seeing the festival through his eyes. It was so special. The most wonderful creation of new memories between the two of us that will last a lifetime. Uh, and I hope that the same for him. So yeah, a little bit croaky, not quite as croaky as I was last week, but it is festival season, my friends. Um, and the wonderful thing about festival seasons is it really encourages you, I think, to be the least, I don't know, kind of uh, snobbish about music because you can watch everything and anything. And I highly encourage you, if you are going along to a festival this summer, to do just that. Uh, I also have to say a massive thank you to everybody who's been getting in touch using our email address, which is info at edithbowman.com. I'm going to read out a couple of correspondence from you guys at the end of the show. But if you do want to get in touch, it could be for anything. If you want to have a whinge, fair enough. Rather you didn't. Uh, what I would like you to do is either enthuse about something you've seen, uh, maybe it's a guest you'd like to hear on the podcast, or maybe it's just talking about one of the episodes that you've listened to. So please do get in touch. Info at edithbowman.com. Now, I should just mention to you before I introduce this week's guest that I did this episode whilst I was on holiday last month in Portugal. And I had assumed, because most times I've been to Portugal, the time difference is an hour in front. Uh, so I had arranged my time and things with, uh, with the PR company, the film company to do that. I had gone to the beach with my family, um, got them all down there, got them settled, and then I rushed back to where we were staying to do the interview. And I'd given myself plenty of time. And thank God I had, because uh, there was no time difference. <laughs> So there was a very kind of close shave and that I could have well have been late or missed my slot with this week's guest. Thankfully, I didn't because our guest this week is none other than visionary filmmaker. It's Mr. Baz Luhrmann. Yeah, 
Baz Luhrmann, who I have been genuinely a huge fan of for many, many years. He's, as I said, visionary, but he's such a unique filmmaker because what he always does is he takes us on a journey with his storytelling, both visually and through what I describe as kind of his maverick nature in the way that he uses music and sound. You might have even heard, noticed last week's guest, Licky Lee, referencing his Romeo and Juliet as, well, a seminal film for her. His latest film is the glorious, colourful and immersive Elvis. His interpretation of the life of the one and only Elvis Presley, the King. Thank you very much. It's out now in cinemas and you have to go and see this at the cinema. Now you can watch it at one of you's 91 state-of-the-art venues across the UK and Ireland. This is a film made for the big screen. It's such a, a delicious ignition of your senses. Perfect with view offering the ultimate big screen experience with the best seats, screen and brilliant sound. There's no other way to completely immerse yourself in this brilliant story than on the big screen at view. For more info and tickets from just 4 99 at select sites, just head to myview.com. That's myview.com for more info and tickets from just 4 99 Now, the man who plays Elvis so perfectly is Austin Butler, who also sang some of the music numbers in the film. And we'll begin with Austin's rendition of Trouble. If you're looking for trouble, you came to the right place. If you're looking for trouble, just look right in my face. I was born standing up and talking back. My daddy was a green eyed man. He died because I'm evil. My middle name is misery. Well, I'm evil. So don't you mess around with me. Thank you for your time, sir. Listen, huge congratulations on this astonishing film. I didn't want it to end. It blew my mind. And yeah, it was absolutely wonderful. So huge congratulations. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's funny because I grew up with Elvis just in my kind of psyche. My dad had the VHS of that Hawaii show that would be on repeat in our house. So I, I his music, I felt like was almost kind of in my blood growing up and something that I've always gone to as a kind of comforter in a way, in terms of when I feel disconnected from my family, it's a thing I kind of go to in a weird way. That's beautiful. Yeah, I feel like that's kind of what you've done with the film in a way, is kind of reconnected the world with his story. Yeah, like, first of all, it's funny a lot. I've read a lot of comments and people of children and saying, oh, my dad or my mum loved him. So it's in my sight, almost what you said, or my grandparents. Yeah. And I'm going to go and take them for that reason. And I almost feel like there might be a bonding moment because, of, because the thing is to get people to go back into the theatre. But what's the reason? Yeah. Well, the reason might be that he, who in his lifetime fundamentally was about bringing people together, like he was fundamentally a uniter. You can say whatever you like. But I spent the time doing the research, and I was down there. I met people he met, and I just think what, what got lost 
what has got lost in all the noise is, you know, if you're under 30, he's the fat guy in the white jumpsuit or he's the joke or he's the, he's the Halloween costume. But what's been forgotten is that in the 50s, he was an absolute rebel. I mean, he was the first punk. And growing up in this white, commu- in this white house in a black community like Eminem, which is why Eminem's yeah. got a song at the end of the movie in the credits. I roll up like the bottom of a toothpaste dude. Loose weighted shoes, one missing a shoelace to it. Two new chains, you can call me two chains. Ropes hang like Hussein's new. Yeah, they let the fruitcake loose and it goes. One for the trailer park, two for my baby mom. Three for the tater tot, four if you ate a lot. Five if you came to rock. Straight up while I'm shooting on my comp. I'm about to use the John like Ray Coupon. Money like a scroll, my paper long. Longer than it takes a blonde to put a makeup on. And his kind of ability to bring all kinds of people together through song, but also through his spirit, you know? He was a uniter, yeah. and, and right now, gosh, we need, we need that to be reflected back to us, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I can almost feel like we need people, particularly in that line of work, to really use that platform to unite us, and, you know, the more people we can encourage to do that, the better. For you, what was the catalyst and the kind of seed of going, I want to tell this story? I need to make a film about this man and his journey and his connection and his passion and his talent. He was always in my psyche. I was a fan as a kid. And I was aware of how big he was, you know, and there was talk about me doing musical biographies and I went like, well, the only biography... I see, I love Amadeus because it's mm-hmm. not just about Mozart, it's about jealousy. And I thought, well, how could I... I can't squander Elvis's life. It's too big. How can I use it for a good purpose? And the purpose was to look at America in the 50s, the 60s, the 70s, but also see the rebel and see the cell. Like Colonel Tom Parker, never Colonel, never Tom, never Parker, is the dark side of the whole thing. And what you realize is together they sort of ascend, get too close to the sun and like Icarus fall. Mm. The real argument is about business and show, the cell and the creative, you know, and the soul, the cell and the soul. Because Elvis was a soulful person and the Colonel was nothing but a cell. And I thought that was drama. Where do you start with the music? Because we know, you know, as fans of yours, that the music is such a big part of the journey with all of your films and with all of your storytelling. Yeah. But with this, obviously, music is at the heart of him. And, and also that, that kind of black music that was, that was his kind of teaching and his kind yeah. of, his physical kind of connection with, with music, really, you know. But, but where did you start with the role of music to be within this film? I start by living it. I mean, I was in Memphis, Nashville over two years. Imagine being with Dave Cobb recording gospel singers in churches all over Nashville. But once I found this man called Sam Bell, who passed last year, but was in this area where Elvis for a time lived in one of the few white houses in a black community. And he and this group of little kids who were African-American would run off to juke joints and gospel tents. The fact that Elvis was one of the few white faces almost exclusively in Club Andy, mm. this was a dangerous thing to do. 
Yeah. Hanging out with black musicians, going to coloured night, as it was called, to the fair during segregation. I mean, people were genuinely trying to kill him for this. They were hanging up effigies. The fact that the music was something that then the colonel realises it becomes dangerous. And so the Hollywood area is him singing pop, nice clean pop, nothing wrong with good clean pop song. But then he gets back to the roots of gospel, and this is where I made the spine in the whole movie. That's why we recorded all these great gospel singers, because it was truly the music that made him feel peaceful. You know, after performing twice a night in Vegas, where he, where he is physically caught in a trap. Yeah. He would get with his sweet inspirations, one of whom was the mother of Whitney Houston, and they would sing gospel till six in the morning. You know, like, I think that whatever you say about Elvis, he was just a profoundly spiritual person. you're on a you know it's funny the fairground is this kind of world where he you know where where he kind of you know start this crazy world that Colonel Parker was part of you feel like you're on a the most amazing kind of fairground ride for this film because it just takes you off and you're there you're in it you feel it and the music kind of is, is such an important part of that and Elliot Wheeler's done an incredible job and all these contemporary artists that you've brought in but at the heart of it is this are these songs of his that we know and you know Austin is him as well you're kind of like my I don't think I breathed for the entire length of the film because you're kind of like wow where did the music sit with Austin in terms of I know that he sung some but then you did a mix with him in the original versions and things like that the young Elvis performing on stage there are no proper recordings so I thought I'd get a voice impersonator but then I asked Austin you know do you think you could sing it and he came in and honestly, he sings it all. All that early Elvis, let's play house, trouble, that's Austin, pure Austin. And there's a moment like in the middle transition, say with If I Could Dream, where it's Austin and then we transition into Elvis. And then the big sings, the very iconic numbers where you need to believe, like in, it's, El- it's Elvis, pure. And then, of course, I have guest artists translate different things throughout. But... All the early stuff is absolutely Austin singing it. Well, you may go to college, you may go to school, you may have a pink Cadillac, but don't you beat nobody's room now, baby. Come back, baby, come. Come back, baby, come. Come back, baby, I want to play house Well, listen, I'm going to tell you, baby, what I'm talking about. Come on back to me, little girl, 
so we can play some house now, baby. Come back, baby, come on. Come back, baby, come on. Come back, baby, I want to play house. You always play house. Well, it's just one thing, baby. So we can do what we did before Now baby, come back and baby, come Come back and baby, come Come back and baby, I wanna play home yeah. Kind of remarkable, really Because, like I said when I first met him So do you sing? He said, well, just to my girlfriend <laughs> Occasionally, I used to sing to my mum Was he easy to find? Was was finding your Elvis? Uh, what was that journey like? Well, I just think like he found me. Like uh, he's telling that he's he's quite comfortable now. He wasn't comfortable, but with telling this part of the story, he has this spiritual connection because he lost his mum in the same year that Elvis did, and oh, wow. he he made a video. People kept saying you should play Elvis. And he's like, oh no, it's such a long shot. I'll never get that. So he made a video and he sent the video. No, and he didn't send the video because he thought it was terrible. And then one night, he just told the story, he had this terrible nightmare about his mum. So he went down and he sang Unchained Melody, which is kind of a giant sing. I mean, like, it's the Mount Everest of Elvis songs. And he was, so I get the video and I'm looking at this video going, this is not an audition and yet it's not a scene. It's just this overwhelming emotional piece of footage. And I brought him in and pretty much from that moment on, he just lived as Elvis for two years. He just nonstop lived as Elvis and he practiced with Polly Bennett and Elliot Wheeler and there was a moment when I had to sit him down and say Austin if you keep doing this you'll break yourself you can't keep doing this and it was almost like life and death for him you know wow well you were you were the antithesis to his to Elvis's Colonel Parker then doing the absolute opposite of what Colonel Parker was doing to Elvis I don't Thank know. God. I still I, can, I get out there and do another show, Ost. We'll see. We'll wait till the end of this tour. Maybe I'll, you know, there's nothing more important than that man gets out there and does another interview, you know. That intro, though, I love that moment in the film where he's with his band, you know, and, and he's he sees this opportunity in Vegas as being a, a great opportunity. And, he, and, and the way you see that brilliant scene where they, you know, that really famous intro, you know, okay, you know, the, with the horns, da, 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 da. and and it's I love that scene of almost the creation of that. It's such a beautiful scene to watch. Let me tell you something that no one knows. So we rehearsed it to playback. We rehearsed it, and it was going to be done to playback. This really happened, and I go there, and Ost is doing it, and it's not working at all. It, it isn't working. I, I say, Ost, I just don't. It's just not playing like. And I said, look, look, they're all real musicians. Why don't we get them to take, because they had pads in there to stop them making noise, because they'll play yeah. the playback. I said, you've got to do it, on, maybe do it for real. And he mm-hmm. was never panicked. He was never, you know, if I said, listen, you've got to jump out of a plane with a parachute, he'd sort of do it. But he was in a genuine moment of panic. And we rolled the cameras, and what you see on film is him doing it for real and the musicians doing it for real. Yeah, and it was always consistently one of the most favourite films scenes by the audience. And, uh, yeah, I know it has a visceral reality because it actually is. He just made it up. 
Wow, that's amazing. That's somebody living the role. That's somebody really inhabiting that character. And he's so frightened. Like you could see him going like, I'm going to make a fool of myself. I said, well, just you're Elvis. What would Elvis do? Oh man, that's beautiful. That's that's confidence though in, in the role, but also the people that are surround him, you know, feeling safe. Yeah. Feeling like the playground is safe for him to have the best fun with his toys. It's funny you say that because I see my job as sucking up fear and kids can't play if they're scared. So I try and make an environment where fear is kept outside the door. You know, but but you know, but it comes knocking. I mean, can you imagine the poor thing? Like there's a bit where he goes over and you know, ah, flames, flames are coming up. I mean, he just made that up. And then when he goes, da 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 I mean, it, it was inside of him because of the rehearsal. But, I mean, the movements and everything, he just, you know, he just, he'd he, he become Elvis. Ah, uh, bring that bass up, Jerry. Keep playing. Woo! Ho, ho, ho. That's all right. That's all right. That's all right. Boys. That's all right. With me. James, you ready? Flames, oh. man. Flames are coming over like a car. Oh, God damn. All right. Like about this. You ready? Let's up the actor. All right, boys. On a one, three, four. And the idea as well of, a, of, of an actor having to take on the role, not just of a person, but a person over different, you know, stages within their life and stages of their career as well. You know, he does this amazing transformation from when we first meet Austin as Elvis to, you know, to that last moment, really. It's an amazing transformation to be able to uncapture that spirit over that period of time as well. Yeah, right. I mean, Priscilla, who is not mm. connected to the film, who I met with early, but I lost contact over the COVID and some tragedies, way tragedy. Yeah. I was very worried about what she'd think, and she was rightly sceptical that this rather slender, you know, very beautiful young man but could actually play Elvis in all these different guises. And when she saw the film, I was in the air, when I landed, I heard that the security guard was crying. She was a female security guard. I said, what, what's happening? She, I, th I thought Priscilla had left the screening. She said, no, it's the emotion of Priscilla. And she oh, wrote wow. me the most incredible letter. She said, every breath, every move. She said, if my husband was here, he would say, hot damn, you are me. And later at the Met Ball, she said, you can imagine I've had to put up with people sort of curling their lip and going around like this. She said, more than anything, she caught the spirit of Elvis you know, Elvis was a person, not a god, yeah. you know. I saw that lovely message as well, Lisa Marie wrote, which I just thought was absolutely beautiful. It's just really touching. Must make you feel so, I don't know, just make me feel really proud of what you've achieved with the film. I don't know about pride, just relieved. Like, you really, as you go along the journey, it's like, it's like Riley. You know, to them, he's not Elvis, he's dad. Or mm -hmm. he's the husband or his granddad. Can we quickly talk before we run out of time about Elliot? You know, Elliot Wheeler's brilliant work in this. And when does your work with him start? Very early. And Elliot Wheeler and his associate, Jamison Shaw, who I, I must shout mm -hmm. out to, 
Anton once said music supervisor, but Elliot and I, I start with Elliot when I'm writing a script. I mean, I start with a musical collaboration at the same time as I'm collaborating on writing the script and when I'm collaborating on doing the visual designs. So I collaborate these things. They're like, I've got three, <laughs> yeah, musicians, I suppose, or players, and I'm just running from one to the other. But I guess, I don't know whether once Elliot's kind of privy to to Austin's performance as well, whether there's, you know, things shift relating to that with regards to cues and scores and things. Because there's a, like the cue, for example, on the Ferris wheel, when, you know, when, when Colonel Parker, he's got him on the Ferris wheel and he's almost kind of got him in a trap there almost in a way, you know, in terms of... Um, and that kind of cue there, it almost it's it's like a uh, like a almost like Hitchcockian thriller in a way. You know, it's got this kind of beautiful tension. I'm really glad you picked that out because when we were spotting early on, Elle and I were working on the scoring, and that was the first one where Elliot really I went, you've really got it. We've got it here. You've got it. And it was like that because it's like it's got a kind of pulsing sense of menace about it. It's Faustian, you know. I talked about the score to actually the the Murnau Faust. There's a Murnau black and white Faust that has this kind of menacing, you know, score. Mm -hmm. And that was that. And Elliot is not just the composer, executive music producer. He he coaches the vocals. Like he's an all-rounder and he's a very good storyteller. He's a very good storyteller. How did you, was the script, I mean, easy is not the right word to use really, but in terms of, you know, deciding on, 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 on your script, was it, was it an easy process? Did you know what you wanted to say? You know, you, you sort of said you threw yourself into research. and I, I threw myself research. I knew what I wanted to be early on. I could articulate it in a few sentences, but write, mm-hmm. saying it and writing it two different things. And I started out sketching the story with Jeremy Donner and then I went away from the project and said, no, I can't do it. Then I came back. I worked with Sam Bromell, a young writer, and we just lived down there forever. And then he went to have a baby, so, you know, I sort of wear people out. And <laughs> then Craig, my dear high school friend, came in and we did a pass. But, you know, I was rewriting and writing during the shooting process and even in post. I mean, I was also trying to get the balls in the end in terms of budget and the COVID and all that. Mm. Like the scene in the limousine with Priscilla and Elvis. <gasps> Almost wasn't in the movie. I wrote it about no. 48 hours before I shot it. And there was a moment when I had to decide between doing that and finishing another scene. And I just thought, no, 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 I've got to have a moment where you realize that she is his only friend. Man, yeah. If he'd got to 50, you know, when she, when they say, when you're 40 and I'm 50, we'll be back to that. Oh, it broke me. I was bawling my eyes out at that scene. It's kind of... Yeah, it's that, that, that true love, really, that was between them, that unconditional, I guess, kind of love that... Right, right, because it's Germany. She's, she's, you know, a teenager. He's 20-something. He's lonely. You know, it's the 50s, so there's a whole lot of, you know, talking and all of that. But then, then they grow, and I think she grows into an adult and he remains a child in a way. But she loved him, and... I remember when I first met Priscilla in L.A. for this dinner, we talked and she was a bit guarded about things, understandably. She's so, yeah. God, I don't know how you live with your life having had a living God as your husband. But then also the, all the malign stuff, like for poor Riley, all this stuff that's said about her grandfather, 
But as I was leaving, Priscilla looked up into my eyes and she said, I know you'll do your best. He deserves it. Wow. How important was it for you to have her kind of blessing, to have her and the family's blessing for this? I wanted to do right by them, but I also had to tell a story. And what happened was I meant to involve them more. Not that I had to contractually, I didn't. But COVID came and I couldn't leave Queensland for two years. And then right at the moment I tried to reach out, there's this very well-known tragic occurrence. And I had to keep going so yeah. I never got to show the script. So it was only when I'd finished the film that they saw it. And, of course, every minute of that was like it was very, very, very I, – I can't describe how anxious I was. Yeah. Um, totally shifting gear here, Tom Hanks, genius piece of casting, amazing. I mean, I, you know, when you think Tom Hanks, you kind of go – you know, we know that Tom Hanks can do everything, but he kind of doesn't get the opportunity to do everything because he's Tom Hanks, you know, and people want to see him in certain roles. I love him in this kind of role. He can do really, like, nasty brilliantly. Yeah, well, nobody wants to see your favourite <laughs> uncle turn, into, turn out to be a really, you know, scary clown with a chainsaw. <laughs> So great. He looked like he had a lot of fun with that as well, with the role. Oh, he did. And Tom ran towards it. It's funny. You go to an actor like Tom. I knew Tom socially, but you go to an actor like Tom and normally it's weeks of discussion. And I sat down with him and about 10 minutes in, after telling him about Parker and the toxicity and that, he said, yep, if you want me, I'm your guy. I think he, he just understood what that could be, toxicity in a management relationship. Yeah. Just before we finish, that the 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 le- the, le- the leather suit TV special section as well with the film. I love that section as well. And you know what? In Cannes, and I wasn't expecting it, but when that went on, and at the end of it, the entire two thousand people just broke out into applause. So much so that they actually trod on the next bits of dialogue because I wasn't ready for it. I should have left a longer gap. People applauded a lot at the numbers. Oh, yeah, I'm not surprised. It was it was absolutely, oh, it's brilliant. I can't wait to see it again, Baz. I really, really can't. You've done an amazing job. I always just get so excited when I when I hear that you're making a new project. And we, we've met once before, way, way back, when I was at Radio 1, um, and you came on and talked about everybody wear sunscreen, which is kind of apt considering I'm a holiday, and I will wear sunscreen, sir, I promise. Please wear it. It's very yeah. dangerous. The sun is very dangerous. And I see you've got a little, bit too, got to a little bit too much pink going on there. So more I know. 50. It's my, it's my Scottish skin. Yeah, it's my, my little tender Scottish skin. I know yeah. it feels good, but um, it's dangerous. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, it really does um, thank you so much for your time sure. and I really hope we get to chat in person in, sure. in, in the years to come about this and, and your other wonderful films and huge huge congratulations on this film you ain't
from the soundtrack to Elvis, that's Hound Dog, performed perfectly by Austin Butler and such a brilliant part of the story as well and such a necessary part of the story and the history of Elvis with, you know, his history with music, his introduction and his experience with music and just, I think, a very important part of the film. And that, my friends, rounds off this latest episode of Soundtracking with Baz Luhrmann. My huge thanks to Baz for taking the time to talk to us. Elvis is on general release now, so head to myview.com for information about tickets at their 91 venues across the UK and Ireland, with tickets going on sale for as little as four ninety nine at select sites. If this is your first time listening to the podcast, head to edithbowman.com to catch up with all of our previous episodes and be sure to subscribe too. You can drop us an email via info at edithbowman.com. In fact, I've got a couple of correspondence for you right now. Uh, thank you to Becky Collins, who got in touch as to who she would like to have on the podcast. Thank you very much indeed for that. Um, Diana Ross is someone that you mentioned. And Diana Ross, in fact, obviously has been in the country doing Glastonbury and some other shows. I'm already on it, Becky. I have already been in touch with various people trying to get uh, some time with Diana Ross because I would love to spend uh, half an hour or even just, I mean, 10 minutes in her company talking about particularly Lady Sings the Blues. Uh, Also got in touch and said we'd love to hear from uh, Max Richter and John Williams. Now, Max Richter has appeared on the podcast before. uh, So if you head to edithbowman.com, search for Max Richter, you can hear Max's two previous performances, I think, on the podcast. Maybe it's just one. There was definitely a soundtrack in live from the BFI that Max came and did. So, Becky, thank you so much for that one. Uh, Next up, we have a lovely message from Gordon Grant, who is the music librarian at the Scottish Opera. He says, Aid, hope you're very well. First of all, I just wanted to let you know how much I love listening to soundtrack, and it really is the gift that keeps on giving every week. Oh, Gordon, thank you. It gifts me every week making it as well, so thank you. Secondly, it's been lovely to have so much appreciation and love for Bernstein, Sondheim and West Side Story recently. Thank you very much. You may well be referring to the Steven Spielberg episode. Mm -hmm. I just wanted to highlight to you that the show that Bernstein and Sondheim wrote the year before West Side Story is being performed in Glasgow this summer by the Scottish Opera. It's going to be an epic multi-stage outdoor production with a cast of well over 100, including a chorus of over 80, including a community chorus formed in partnership with the Mary Hill Integration Network, who brings migrants, asylum seekers and settled inhabitants of Glasgow together through art. That sounds amazing, Gordon. I'm not sure if you know of Bernstein's connection to Scotland. Scottish Opera's 1987 production of Candide was the last that Bernstein supervised directly, attending rehearsals and performances in the Theatre Royal in Glasgow. And so the final version of the show is called the Scottish Opera version. Anyway, if you love West Side Story, you will absolutely love Candide and thought you would like to know that Scotland are doing Bernstein proud. Best wishes, Gordon. Oh! Gordon, I am going immediately onto your website, scottishopera.org, to try and see if I can get along to watch that. If you'd like to get in touch, then please do so. The email is info at edithbowman.com. We'd love to hear from you on our socials too. We are at Soundtrack in UK, so please do follow us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. And join us next week for another episode as we dive into a creative mind talking about music and film and TV. Very much look forward to the pleasure of your company then. Thank you.
selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to do we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify's there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash audioboom, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash audioboom now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash audioboom. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com slash boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC. Member SIPC. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com slash boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC. Member SIPC. 